Don't Wreck Yourself features words and situations that are not appropriate for young listeners. This show is only for adults and unsupervised juvenile delinquents of exquisite taste and refinement. Each week, Matt and Ryan look into claims they find online, answer your questions, and say bad words! Now your way is the only way, and my way is the only way to Fill the space between a hard place and a rock is all we do but we'll entertain the conversation that leads us to the truth. What do we know? What trips to telephones that are no different to you. Welcome to Don't Wreck Yourself. My name's Ryan Placetti, and I'm here to disentangle you from the Gordian knot of the Internet's bullshit. And I'm Matt Saintsing, and I am proud and happy to bring to our listeners our first ever guest on the show, Shane Learman, host of What's Shaken with Shaner, a former karaoke host and Elvis impersonator. Shane, thank you for being with us today. Hey, Matt, Ryan, really appreciate you guys having me on the show. Greatly appreciate it. And thanks for giving a little shout out to What's Shaken with Shaner, the podcast that celebrates the passion and the madness of the geek, the nerd, and often the absurd. So, yeah, I, uh, my qualifications for being a podcast host probably have nothing to do with what I talk about, but for you those that are you own a microphone, that's a qualification. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to have a microphone and a sense of a sense of confidence uh, that the world needs to hear what you want to say, and a, and a shtick, right? You have oh, all yeah. that with a shtick yeah. and the, and your gold. Uh, but to Matt's point, uh, I've done a lot of things in my life, everything from marine to short order cook to pig farmer. And I was even a security guard and bodyguard at one point in my life. But the most exciting part, I think, would be the eight years I spent as a karaoke host and an Elvis impersonator. Yeah, that's right. I really was Elvis for eight years and people paid me money. That was the most, that was the funnest part about it. I, I, I did a, a goof or a spoof at a show as Elvis. And I was like, oh my God, you're so good. Do you have a card? I'm like, what? A card? Well, you're a professional Elvis impersonator, right? Well, I am now. <laughs> Turned into this thing. I've done shows all across the country. I've even done shows in Vegas, Reno. Oh, wow. And uh, No, in, in like 2005 or six, we attempted to break the world's record for the most Elvis impersonator singing the same song at the same time at a uh, Relay for Life event in Ohio. And I got to be the lead Elvi. So it was actually pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> what was the song? We got. I got to know. Uh, I'm all shook up. Is is I'm all shook up your favorite Elvis song, or is it just the one that everybody could agree on? That was just the one everybody knew. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. No, no, my, my my favorite Elvis song probably is a couple in the ghetto, Suspicious Minds. Uh, those are some of my all-time favorites. My favorite one to sing, though, is probably a lesser-known Elvis tune, um, Polk Salad Annie. Okay. I have not heard of that. Yeah. It was a hit in the 60s by Tony Joe White. Um, but Elvis did a live version of it. That's actually pretty, pretty cool. That's my favorite one to sing at karaoke. And nobody has any idea what I'm singing, which makes it even more entertaining. Absolutely. I think if I were to choose a favorite Elvis song, it would probably be Now or Never. It's just got a it's got a fantastic tone. It, it it's kind of mysterious. It's I like I like a good sad song, and, and that song seems to be predicting <laughs> that song seems to be predicting a sadness. I think I, I like the blue suede shoes, and I like the you ain't nothing but a hound dog because I'm an animal lover. I just think that, I think they're fun <laughs> tunes. I just think they're fun tunes. You know, to listen to. 
What's you, uh, so you, you you said that you worked as a as a karaoke host. Do you have any least favorite karaoke songs? Uh, yes, anything by uh, Celine Dion, um, <laughs> Bette Midler, um, and uh, Barbara Streisand. Just because everybody's got to sing them. And the worst part is being a karaoke host has ruined some songs for me. I think the worst experiences I had as a, as a karaoke host, there were several. That was a really slow night at the club. Three drunk buddies come in and they decide they want to have a Led Zeppelin sing off. And of course, I'm like, oh, no way in hell because they all wanted to do Stairway to Heaven. And I knew that it would quickly fall into the category of, oh, my God, I can't stand Stairway to Heaven anymore. It's fine if you're getting paid hourly. It, it sounds it sounds like the escalator to hell. More <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it takes a long way to get there and you're going to drop off into nothing at the end, right? <laughs> One of my favorite karaoke experiences, though, is a Led Zeppelin moment, and it oh. does involve multiple people doing the same song. I was hanging out at a dive bar in Oxford, Pennsylvania, which is a small rural town where my parents live. And there was a band from Philly that came in. They did a set there. they they were pretty good. They were a serviceable, you know, touring band that's playing dive bars in rural Pennsylvania. And when they finished their set, the uh, bartender set up the karaoke machine and one of the guys did the immigrant song. Oh, there's a there's a brief back and forth between the band and some locals about who could do it better. <laughs> and the local karaoke folks destroyed them. Oh, that makes me so happy. Wow. That's funny. There's just nothing better than watching a professional musician get the shit kicked out of him by, you know, an off amateur drunk amateur people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. By, by the Olive Garden cook in the back. <laughs> hey, drunk amateur people. That pretty much explains my whole personal life. So, <laughs> <laughs> and our podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really, really. Recently, Matt featured on episode 11 of What's Shaken with Shaner, and you guys, uh, you, you compared two colloquialisms regarding how cold something is. Mm -hmm. And since I wasn't on the show, I didn't get a chance to tell Matt he's wrong. Oh, and you're a Mena, so you know about you know about coldness. You know about things that are cold. I have, I have an idea about I have an idea about cold stuff. Debate was over which is colder. And Shane, would you like to remind us of the two? sayings uh, because i believe your father was the origin point for you uh yeah my dad uh crazy shit my dad says um the one was it's colder than a well digger's ass in january okay and the other one is colder than a witch's tit in a brass bra okay and, and i believe you guys settled on the witch's tit in the brass bra being the colder uh the, the colder of those two scenarios i am firmly in that camp I would say I, I would tend to agree with Matt. Yes. All right. Well, let me offer a quick counter argument. All right. Let's hear it. So colder than a witch's tit in a brass bra is a variation of colder, uh, colder than a witch's tit. Right. Yeah. That's the one I've heard. Yeah. Right. So why is the witch's tit so cold? It sounds like a setup for a joke. <laughs> <laughs> we get laughs on this know. podcast. Yeah. I yeah. don't know. I don't know, Ryan. How cold is a witch's tit? <laughs> it's so cold. <laughs> well, I, I raised the issue of the temperature of the witch's tit because the well digger's ass in January is based off of environmental factors. 
whereas the witch's tit seems to be the source of the coldness. Now, in any given system or, or multiple systems in which thermal energy is present, thermal energy is going to move between, uh, move between sources of thermal energy, and it's going to tend towards equilibrium. I, I, I'm tracking. I see what you're saying. Okay. So in an environment that is undefined, and we're assuming that the source of the coldness is the witch's tit, then the witch herself is the origin of the thermal energy. The, the actual atmosphere is the source of the thermal energy. So the brass bra as a conductor is going to either be conducting warmth into the witch's tit or coldness away from the witch's tit. See what I'm saying? I do see what you're saying, but I think that the law of thermodynamics, which I am familiar with, uh, gets thrown out the window when you're talking about a mythological creature who has supernatural powers. So you're, you're assuming that this is in the reality world that we live in. Okay. We're talking about a mythological creature that may or may not have existed. Is a witch's tit cold enough to freeze water? I would say it depends on the witch. Um, <laughs> which, which, which witch do you mean? No, I, 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 I abs- no, I mean, I, I think since we're, we're reaching into the supernatural, I just think that the current of physics and thermodynamics may not necessarily apply. All right. Well, let, let's say that the, uh, the witch was made of ice. An ice okay. witch. If you, okay, if she's she, from Frozen. The one, uh, someone, she's from Frozen, right? She's from Frozen. Let's say she's an ice witch. Now... So you have all the thermal energy of that witch, and then you have, say, a lake. Okay, if you drop that witch into the lake, is the lake going to freeze or is the witch going to melt? It depends what kind of curse the witch is using, I would say. And I I think the get out of jail free card here is just you're reaching into the mythological supernatural things and you do not need a logical explanation to explain that. That's my reasoning. And it's a get out of jail free card. It's a cop out. I, I, I will say this, too. Uh, Ryan, I really like your comments. I mean, I really do. It makes you think about that makes one of us. Dynamic. <laughs> Shane, you're hired. <laughs> And it's not just because I have a uh, face for radio, um, <laughs> but also uh, to take it to Matt's point of view, it, it, it is something we don't know, right? So I'm going to go ahead and say because witches in mythology don't even cast a reflection in mirrors. That's vampires too. Yeah. yeah vampires as well. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and stick with our, it's mythical. Let's just not F with it. It's a witch's tit and a brass bra is colder. And, and I will just say this. If I did know a witch that had a cold tit, that'd be kind of a cool person to have around. You could chill down a beer or a drink really, really fast. Just, hey, throw that thing over here and just put it in your cup. In your brass bra. Well, yeah, exactly. Uh, all right. Well, and then I, I think I would also point out that the brass bra doesn't actually make the witch's tit colder. Brass is a conductor. The reason why metal feels cold, it's not that it's a different temperature than the surrounding right, right, air. Right. It's just that air is not as good a conductor as metal. So when you touch metal, it's not that it's colder. It's that it's sucking the thermal energy out of your body. I, I mean, uh, I, I- so again, any- again, that that does not matter when you're talking about like dragons or like witches or vampires or anything else that may or may not exist. <laughs> all, I'm, all I'm saying is that the combined atmosphere yeah. around the well digger is going to have a greater potential energy than any individual witch. I th- we we got we have to move on from this. However, I th- I just think we are too far apart on the science. I, I, I think you, you're <laughs> Bill you're Bill Nye and I'm more Ken Ham. 
Yeah, 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 and I'm and I'm more the guy who believes the world's six thousand years old. Um, so I just think you know we're a little too far apart on that. Agree to disagree. Um, All right. But our listeners, I want to know what they think about this, and they should no. let us know. I think Shane actually had a topic today that will uh, that 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 would seem to indicate that the world is older than six thousand years old. That I do. I haven't seen the article from the, uh, about this. I just have a description of it. So I'm really excited to 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 hear about the science, not magic, behind this. <laughs> well, sometimes science is magic. I mean, it really is when you think about it. When you don't understand, they they don't call him Mister Wizard for nothing. There you go. No, uh, it's this theory that's been around since like 1992. Yep. And John Anthony West, who was an American author and lecturer, uh, he introduced some evidence and he claimed to have hard evidence of a high civilization in the Nile River Valley, 10,000 BC or earlier, which is about 6,000 years earlier than they claim that the Sphinx was actually built. He argues that the desert mountains, or excuse me, the desert monuments, including the Great Sphinx, the Valley Temple at Giza, and even further south, the mysterious Osirin at Abydos, okay. show significantly unmistakable signs of having been weathered by water. Yeah. And they could have only been exposed to sufficient quantities or levels of water to include rain during the damp period that accompanied the end of the last ice age around the 11th millennium. Okay. So th- this is really the claim that the, that the person is making here is that the Sphinx is orders of magnitude older than the other pyramids. And is that there was a civilization older than, than the, what we call ancient Egyptians. Um, so that's, that right there is, is pretty interesting. But before we go any further, I kind of just want to, if you haven't been to public school in the United States and you don't know what the Sphinx is, it's a, a big ass statue in Egypt. Uh, it's a head of a man, body of a lion, 66 feet tall. At the head is about 240 feet long. Um, and this claim actually does date back to the early 90s. And I have the Boston University geologist by the name of Robert Scoach, which just a great name. And so so the, the claim, because this is from Boston, it's more like it's a little more than a Scoach old, you rat bastard. Right. That's okay. that's that's what I think Robert would say to this. Yeah, it's wicked cool. You like them apples? You like apples? No. Um, Ryan, you know, I never miss a chance to give you a layup on the archaeology topics, apparently. Uh, so what what is your first reaction to this theory? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> you, you, are, you, you would be in line with the uh, traditional Egyptologists on this one. In, in that case, it's a, it's a numbers game. A lot of people have been studying ancient Egypt for a very long time, and they have hundreds of years. Yeah. Good physical evidence for these dates. Now, that said, I am open to the possibility that archaeologists get things wrong because they get things wrong all the time. Yeah. There's a lot of guesswork when you don't, especially when you don't have a written record. And especially if it's written in animals, it's even harder. <laughs> <laughs> it's oh, what, what does what 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 is what is Falcon feather set mean? Ah, oh, man. Uh, I want to preface this by saying that I am not an Egyptologist. I've, I've taken some I've taken some classes on ancient Egypt in the third grade when we all went through. <laughs> I had the pleasure of of taking an introduction to Egyptian civilization with Susan Redford at Pennsylvania State University. She and her husband are world-renowned uh, experts 
writing many of the textbooks that they prescribe in their classrooms. Yeah, of course. Of course, right. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, they didn't get paid for, I'm sure, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just in terms of dealing with was there an ancient civilization bef- uh, before ancient Egypt? It's a neat idea. Yeah. But what you have to consider is the physical evidence that's there. You, you do have a pre-ancient Egyptian civilization. They call it the pre-dynastic period. There are multiple groups that are evidenced through archaeological finds as existing in the territory of Egypt. And we, we have a pretty good idea of what their lifestyles were. And that wet period that followed the last ice age actually continued well into the pre-dynastic period and even the uh, the early dynastic period. Today's Egypt is much drier than the Egypt uh, when they were building these massive structures. Yep, that's just what happens as you get older. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. If the weathering is only found on the Sphinx and not the other ones, wouldn't that mean that the Sphinx was built at a time when the climate was wetter? No. Why? And I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you why I think. So there's okay. the temple that's associated with the with the Sphinx is constructed out of the same limestone. So the the Sphinx itself is a large limestone structure. Yeah, that yeah. was largely excavated around. So they were quarrying around this thing and pulling blocks from that for other building projects. So they're able to identify the rocks that are used in the temple as matching the rocks that are used at the Sphinx. Uh, they also found around the Sphinx physical evidence of the quarrying that took place. So they have an idea of the tools that were being used. Okay. They also have, uh, they, they literally found a guy's lunch who was left behind. So it looks like the workers walked off the job. <laughs> what, what that means, though, is that the Sphinx was not finished. So it's not like they finished it and then it wore away. It was the union got involved and, and they, they, well, they, they well, stopped probably, working. probably whoever was paying the bills died and they walked off the job yeah i think we, i think we've just discovered the earliest times of the freemasons <laughs> oh oh god that's a whole nother podcast but we should definitely get into that someday well i'm just saying to mass point yeah the freemasons union got involved and they said screw it i'm not covering no more stone <laughs> it, it was the fact that it was freemasonry that pissed them off they want paid masonry right <laughs> <laughs> yeah who doesn't right yeah right yeah no uh I think to your point, I think I, I have a really good quote here from the University of Chicago, uh, Dr. Mark Leonard. He is a leading expert on the Sphinx. And this is a direct quote from him that I just wanted to throw in here. Quote, you don't overthrow Egyptian history based on one phenomenon like a weathering profile. That's how pseudoscience is done, not real science. So you have an archaeologist telling a geologist to go kick rocks, literally, and that, <laughs> and that your science fucking sucks. <laughs> Well, see, and that's just it. That's why I like this uh, as more of a thought problem. Yeah, right? thought, thought experiment. Yeah. yeah. It really is because if we're going to use one part of science to say something is plausible, but then ignore another part of science, is it because we think their science is bad or we just don't agree with their outcome of the science, right? It's the tension between academic fields that is particularly funny to me because I want to see a fist fight between yeah. these two nerds. <laughs> 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 uh, I watch out. The archaeologist will be. Well, actually, it's an archaeologist the versus geologist. Guy. They're both gonna. They're both gonna have picks. This is evenly. Mo- which science? Which two scientists would you be? More, would you pay to see in a in a fight? Which two? Which two fields of scientists would Ooh. you see in a fight? I would well, see a, a physicist and a chemist. One has lasers. One has acid. Yeah, but see, I would. I would say it'd have to be bare knuckles, right? Let's just okay. do bare knuckle uh, fighting. So then the geologist was because he's out working in the field with his hands. They're probably a little more yeah. in shape than the. Archaeologists go go out in the field too. 
Yeah, but two hundred years ago, right? Like no, they, no. I, I, Egypt, Egyptologists today are they going to Egypt and doing shit? Do geologists sandbag their sites after they're done? Because in in archaeology, what you want to do? <laughs> no, you have in order to preserve the site for the next dig season, you have you have a sandbag day, and I think you get a lot of reps in. All right, well, you all probably right. would. But speaking of sandbags, I was a marine. Dear God, if there's one thing I know how to do, <laughs> it's sandbag. Is fill up <laughs> sandbags. <laughs> <laughs> I was in the desert one time, just a quick little off-the-cuff story. Um, when I served, I, I got out in 96. So one day, our uh, platoon sergeant decided we needed something to do. So we went and filled like 200 bags of sand, sandbags. Yes, sounds like the military. And, yeah. and then yeah. we broke for lunch. After we got back from lunch, you know, we had a hole, right, from digging for the sand to put in the sandbags. So then he, so then he had us empty the sandbags. <laughs> <laughs> put the sandbags at the bottom of the hole and put all the other sand back on top of it and put a flag there. So tomorrow we could start from scratch and do it all over again. Your tax dollars at work, listener. I am proficient. You would be a phenomenal archaeologist because you literally just described the cycle of opening and closing a site. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, I, I think final determination here, Ryan, you are not sold on on the age of this, on the, the older age of the space. Not at all. I, I think the fact that we can uh, we can date it with the material evidence, like we know what types of tools that pre-Egyptian civilizations, uh, like the, those pre-dynastic period civilizations were using were largely stone. They start introducing copper and bronze tools probably would have been the best for quarrying the stone. I'm not saying that they couldn't have quarried out the the Sphinx with stone tools, but it seems a lot less likely than uh, waiting for the development of metallurgy and uh, creating tools hard enough to to consistently break that limestone apart. So uh, that that would put it in the Calcolithic or Bronze Age period, which would be far too late for 10,000 BC. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that you know. I- I, I kind of defer to you on this. What I would say is it's an interesting new evidence, um, but that it's just one data point in right. a field that has hundreds of data points. There, there are certainly gaps for sure, um, but I'm not I'm not sold that this fills one just like a, it doesn't fill one as good as a sandbag. Yeah. And, and <laughs> the other thing to consider is that it's not just a single data point. It's a single it's a single interpretation of a data yeah, point. Yeah, that's true. That's true. We have we have a piece of data that would seem to indicate something, but you have to put it in the context of everything else. Well, and, that, and that's a great point. I mean, my mind, I try to keep very, very fluid. So I'm not really picking a side because I really like the fact that there could be something. I'm not saying there is, but it's yeah. just the thought yeah. of it. And just my last closing thought is, you know, we're always told that the evolution of human civilization is a linear process, that it goes from stupid caveman to us. But what if there was a high civilization prior to the Ice Age that was then destroyed and we just don't have evidence of it yet? And I'm not saying I got proof. Ancient aliens. You're describing ancient aliens. Dear God, no, I am not describing ancient aliens. That that is one (laughs) one thing I won't go down the road on um, that I don't believe in. But I'm just saying I think it's a great idea to uh, think about and talk about because – we really don't know. And to Ryan's point earlier, it's not like we have a journal. We, we have really good evidence. And the, the evolution of human society is not a, you know, point A to point B thing. It actually radiates out from points of points of discovery. So uh, you have the independent discoverer of agriculture in South America, the Near East yeah. and, and yeah. Asia. 
uh, and probably Indonesia also. Looking at it as a linear as a linear thing, it's absolutely possible that somebody could have developed agriculture, but whether or not the the stuff stuck is another question entirely. However, for a complex society to exist without us being aware of it, while it's possible, it's it is probably unlikely because human beings are creatures of habit. They tend to inhabit the same place for long periods of time. So you would expect to find like me at the bar and just plant you, myself. You, for a you while. would you would expect to find evidence of that earlier civilization probably in the same places that you find evidence of civilizations that we know about. Okay. Uh, I think I, I think we have s- settled on it's an interesting thought. I still want to learn more. I'm also not sold on the interpretation of one data point of one guy yep. from one statue. But um, we, I have another topic, and this this topic comes from r slash no stupid questions, a place where we've already established time damn near every week that uh, <laughs> uh, you, you know we, we there's no such thing as a dumb question here. It's impossible. Well, I don't know how many episodes of our podcast Shane's listened to, so I think hopefully all of them. Uh, uh, Hopefully all of them. It's okay if you haven't, Shane. You don't have to answer that question. Uh, Well, (laughs) (laughs) sorry, sorry, I have the best microphone issue. Yeah, that's why I didn't respond. By the way, that's what I that's what I say too. Oh, could you repeat the question? I didn't hear that, Your Honor. No, actually, I have listened to several episodes. Not all of them, I'll be honest, but I have listened to several, and that's one of the parts I I I enjoy. Um, There's no stupid questions. Those are always fun topics. So this question comes from Experts Shinobi three three four. Oh, why why are they even asking? They should have their own podcast if they're a self declared expert. Do you think they're an expert? Who happens to be a shinobi ninja? Or do you think they're just an expert in shinobi ninja-ing? I think they are experts in 334 shinobi ninjas, is what I would say. Um, but 341 question, is too many. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, the, the question is, if the Joker from the Dark Knight was real, how do you think the U.S. government would be able to deal with his threats? Uh, gentlemen, uh, first reaction. Uh, he's an American citizen, so they would probably have to go through our legal system. As opposed to if he was a foreigner, like in the sequel to that film, which featured Bane, who was Tom Hardy and clearly not an American, they probably would just drone strike him. I was literally going to say they're going to drone strike him. That's so funny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Shane, what do you have to say about this? You're a comic book guy. Uh, I am. I've been reading them since I was probably about eight or nine years old. So I love the stories. I think part of it is the government would find a way to take him out, legal or otherwise. Right. Or extra legal. Right. I mean, I I think they would if it was the threat to the level that has been displayed in the movie or even in several of the comics, they'd find a way to take him out. They would. So before we go any further, if if, if people out there haven't seen The Dark Knight, you absolutely should. It is maybe one of the best Batman movies right next to the Lego Batman movie, I would say. But um, the Joker in in this film is portrayed by Heath Ledger, who sadly died of a drug overdose, I think, before the movie actually came out. Um, And the Joker is a psychopathic anarchist mastermind. Uh, He rose to power in the criminal underworld and thrust Gotham City into crazy turmoil. He's essentially a ringleader of an organized crime organization that's extremely violent. Another Um, organized crime organization, Matt? This is the second time I did that. Yes, it is. You did it last time, too. Talking about the the Yakuza. Yeah, I don't know why I did that. You know, I think you could you could apply a RICO case to here. You know, RICO is the Racketeer Influenced and Corruptions Organization Act. It was created essentially to prosecute organized crimes, primarily Italian and mafia families. So why wouldn't we could definitely build a RICO case on the Joker, I think. 
even though I think the letter of the law states that we would have to go through our normal legal systems, uh, we do have examples of how police departments deal with people accused of murdering other police officers. Oh, okay. Cop killers, if you will. Yeah. In 2013, you had a gentleman named Christopher Dorner, who was an L.A. police officer and ex-military, by the way, who was basically who who was who was accused of murdering the daughter of an ex-LAPD captain and her fiance. All right. Then three further police personnel were shot and wounded over the course of this manhunt. Okay. Uh, The LAPD was literally lighting up random vans. They killed they killed everyday citizens because they were shooting first and asking questions later. Ultimately, they barricaded. uh, This guy was ended up barricaded in a cabin, which was set on fire and he did not make it out alive. Wow, that's wild. So when 2013, this happened. Yeah. So when, when we talk about how our legal system deals with American citizens, there's one track. And then there's the tr- then there's the reality track. And in uh, The Dark Knight, the Joker destroys a hospital. So you'd have to think that it would be closer to what you described, Ryan, than a Rico case, right? He mains the district attorney. He blows up a hospital and he sets off a bomb in the uh, Gotham PD. I, I got to tell you, I, I am definitely hanging out with the right group of nerds this morning. <laughs> I, I, I thoroughly appreciate all of those things because Lord knows I'm a font of useless knowledge. And again, that's why we podcast, right? We get to share all of these geeky, oh, nerdy things we like so much uh, in a format that hopefully people are listening to, but they really don't come up in casual conversation, right? Next time you're at the water cooler, you're not just going to be like, so uh, how do you think we'd take out the Joker if he was real? <laughs> I mean, yeah, you, you, I think you maybe want to do you want to uh, have go someone go undercover as one of his goons and try to build you try to, you know, first of all, like, do you need to build a case on a guy who blows up a fucking hospital? Like, what, like <laughs> I how mean, hard is that? How hard is that? He wasn't shy about it. Uh, yeah, exactly. 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 And, and to kind of take this on the flip side, at one point, does this become Batman's fault? Ooh, now you're getting the question about, like, the vigilante justice. Is well, that real justice? Why doesn't he take the Joker out? Why hasn't he? Why hasn't he killed him? And, and for the Because it's a movie. It's a movie, well, Shane. Well, <laughs> no, not only a movie, but if you read through the comics, it's also part of his code. He won't take somebody else's life. So then at one, uh, what point is he legally responsible for every time the Joker comes back? Or even in Spider-Man uh, with the Green Goblin, the number of people he's killed. I, w- I would say at zero point legally, because you, you can't be held legally accountable for not murdering somebody extrajudicially as a civilian. But you could in the comic books because their legal system's a little more fluid. I think he could be morally culpable, but I don't think he could be ethically culpable. Well, what dip- about legally? What about legally? Uh, legally, no, absolutely not. But yeah, but yeah. for say Gotham but, City could could start going after Batman or even try to place fines and things against him for all of the horrible shit that happens because of the Joker. Right. Yeah. Fines, fines work against poor people. And I think what they, what, what, what they, what they would find is they would just get brief cases of money paying the fines. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There'd be a flash of smoke and then there'd just be a pile of money. And then everybody would know it's Bruce Wayne. And and I think there's another reason why, especially in the comics, uh, why we don't see a lot of these villains being killed. And it was because in 1954, there was actually a hearing in Congress to try to control Uh comic books. They thought they were evil and in ruining the minds of teenagers. 
So Jesus. Wow. That is T- such so un-American. The First T- Amendment, so, buddy. First uh, Amendment. Tipper Gore is way older than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a uh, so it was Al Gore, apparently. Hey, dear, dear, dear Gen Z, that's a really funny joke that you'd get if you were just a little bit older. <laughs> just g- Google it. Google it. Yeah. <laughs> so they created this comic book authority. Now, this was something created by the comic book publishers or magazine publishers, not the government. So they created this comic books authority to control what is put out in comic books and magazines to avoid government control, government authority, and government censure. So a lot of the comic books code authority precluded them from uh, displaying crimes in such a way to create sympathy for a criminal, to promote distrust of the forces of law and justice, and that all crime must be depicted as unpleasant, sordid, horrible things. They can't show a lot of those types of stuff to include death. So I I think if we just look at it from a comic book point of view, the reason the Joker has never been killed or sometimes a Green Goblin or the villains always come back because they weren't really killed is because of that comic book code authority. Now, in 2001, Marvel stopped using it. And in 2011, I think DC and the other comics kind of followed suit too. Um, and that's mm-hmm. why we have a lot more mature comics for under some titles. Um, but yeah, it's just interesting that they were trying to control all of that to include um, nothing to do with sex or seduction or rape, sexual abnormalities, fetishes. None of that could be published in comic books. The question I have real quick is the, the, the people who came up with these rules were the, were, the, were the publishers of the comic books, not the government. Correct. It's like right. when Jeff Bezos authorizes foie gras style feeding tubes for his employees. <laughs> so that way you can say he's giving them a lunch. And foie gras style shitting tubes. So they have a bathroom too. <laughs> no. Yeah. I, so th- 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 at first I thought this was the government trying to clamp on it, which I am just 100% against. I'm, I'm, I'm essentially a first amendment absolutist. Right. But if the, if the publishers themselves want to want to create a consortium of, 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 of ethics, I think that's completely fine. And I think it kind of makes sense given the, the, the time and, and place these uh these stories right they wanted told. to avoid as you noted government censure they wanted to avoid it so if we all agree yeah. to these things um we'll, we'll keep stuff free and clear for for a very long time and they did That's and they did because they didn't want to lose their medium right yeah now yeah. We, we we covered why the heroes can't kill the villains but definitely there were deaths of heroes at the hands of villains would that fall under the sordid representation of crime ooh I, I, I think it would, but if you go back and read some of those comics, you never actually see them being killed. You'll see a battle. Were they really dead? It, it's very much a Kenny South Park situation. Just just keeps coming you'll, back. You'll see a battle. Back. You'll see something horrible, and then the next panel or two panels later, they're dead. You don't actually see like a, uh, for example, Wolverine ripping somebody's heart out, right? Or Sabretooth ripping somebody's yeah. heart out and holding it up while it's still beating. You would never see that back. So then. it's... It's like the end of the first Avengers movie when Iron Man fall, uh, flies up into the giant trash circle in the sky and then it's like fade to black. Oh, my gosh, he's dead. It's kind and, of and, and obviously he doesn't die because he comes back in later films. It's kind of like the uh, scene in Independence Day where Randy Quaid is bringing the jet up into the shit. <laughs> <laughs> There's one thing Hollywood loves, and it's a good trash circle in the sky. <laughs> A, a, a trash circle in the sky was the villain of 
the the first uh, the first Avengers movie. It's the villain in the Suicide oh, I didn't, Squad I did, I movie. I did not even know that. I thought you were just making a. I, I didn't know he's an actual. Character. No, they they love they love looming portals that look kind of like storms, and maybe things are falling out. Things falling from the sky. X Men, uh, <laughs> X Men, Apo- Age of the Apocalypse. Uh, they basically fought a giant trash circle. It's <laughs> in Black Widow too. There was like a floating city in the sky. So I guess you're right. You, yeah. yeah, you can yeah. point to a lot of it because is there a way to try to explain either uh, other dimensions, space time travel, or just portals to other locations, which is really popular in a lot of the comic book and fantasy yeah. systems, right? Actually, uh, Ghostbusters, for that matter, has a giant trash circle in the sky, too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, yeah. it helps to convey through, really, weather <laughs> how <laughs> how intense the, the, the magnitude is. So it seems like an overwhelming force. How do you fight the giant trash circle in the sky? So, I think it's a... Oh, it is. It was, you really can't. But back to the whole comic book's authority, Code Authority, they couldn't even publish a comic without that sticker on it right it was published right up in the left hand corner approved by the comics code authority so they actually even had people looking wow. at them and you don't really realize it until years later and now it, it, it really isn't a thing ever it's pretty much been defunct now since like 2011 we have grown out of 1954 yeah. morality absolutely yeah if, yeah if you don't if you don't have the sticker on the cover you've got to you got to store it on the porno rack with the rest of it <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's gotta like, have yeah, you've got your Playboy, you've got your Dark Horse comics, and you've got your and you've got your Hustler. Yeah, and oh, then man. the Marvel comics um, with Wolverine ripped somebody's heart. Which one is most popular with a thirteen-year-old boy? That's a toss-up, sir. Get it? <laughs> uh, well, I can tell you which one that thirteen-year-old boy can get their parents to buy for them. Unknowingly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. All right. So I'll say this. Um, so Brian, you brought up, you know, the United States like a drone striking. I think you know the Joker in the Dark Knight is. I think undebatably a terrorist, right? And if passes prologue, the United States would engage in a multi-decade war, spend four trillion dollars to replace <laughs> to replace the Joker with the Joker. That's what would, that, that, that's how the United States government would would, would handle. They would it, kill Heath Ledger and then hire Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> exactly. But not Jared exactly. Leto. Please, dear God, don't give him a Joker role again. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Speaking of things that suck, I wanted to take us to another part of Reddit r slash interesting as fuck i think this is the first time we have forayed into this forum uh just to give people kind of an idea of what the general topic of this is most of it is links to articles or photographs that people find to be interesting as fuck this was posted by user bavoon and the title is our dog had a tick our dog's tick also had a tick. This is a close-up image of the palm of their hand in which there is a tick sitting on it. And then there is a tick sitting on top of the tick. A little bit of tick on tick action, if you will. Yeah. Lots of, there's a, there's a, there's a big tick and a little tick. <laughs> well, I'm more, I'm, 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 I like the big ticks better if I. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the question here really is it's interesting, but what's actually happening in this photograph? Let's, yeah, I'd love to know. Do you have any thoughts, Shane? Taking a look at this picture, I got to tell you, a tick on tick on a tick on a tick. I grew up in extremely rural Nebraska, hunting, fishing, always out in the trees and groves. And we always, would always have to do like a self tick check. If we were outside uh, around the trees in the summer for a very long period of time. So I'm very familiar with them, but I got to tell you, I don't think I ever would have guessed 
a tick on a tick, but I'm not going to say it's bullshit. All right. So kind of describing this photo, like I said, there's a larger tick and then on the tick is a smaller tick. And it, it looks like it's almost being worn like a backpack. He's riding the tick into battle. Yeah. <laughs> now, what's interesting here is I think it's possible that the larger tick is upside down. So this might actually be on the belly. So this this may not this be 69. Like, we're watching a 69 tick right now. <laughs> uh, given that the larger tick has it, it looks almost deflated. OK. All right. Uh, so the thing you have to understand is that ticks don't make love sweet, sweet love the way we do. You don't know that. I mean, you uh, that. have you ever not a hole into the thorax of your lover in order to inseminate her egg sac? You know, I, 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 uh, I don't like to talk about my sexual proclivities and I'm not going to start now. <laughs> so I'm, I can either confirm nor deny that. <laughs> You know, there's some sealed court documents that I really can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. legally, I'm not allowed to say. <laughs> yeah. So, getting to the getting to the nuts and bolts of this, I'm pretty sure that this is the act of uh, tick on tick action. All right, nice, hot. So, all ticks have a uh, an apparatus in their face. It's like a sawtooth. It's like a saw blade with like backwards facing barbs. that allow them to essentially like spear their way into the skin. And then they've got two flaps on the other side that push the skin out of the way. And then they drive that barb a little bit deeper in. And then what happens is as that, as that, as that hole that the tick digs fills with blood, it slurps the blood out and, and engorges itself. So this would probably be during the last phase of the tick's life. So what what we're seeing there is probably a large female tick. And then the male tick is burrowing into her abdomen to uh, deposit its semen. And that male tick will then move on to try to find another female and do the same. That female will go on to lay a few thousand eggs. And those eggs will go on to be larval ticks and not to be confused with Marvel ticks. <laughs> I, don't, actually, I, don't, I don't think the I don't think the tick is actually a Marvel hero. What, what? I guess DC. I'm pretty sure it's DC. I, I thought it was DC or one of the others, but no, I, I'm, I know it's not Marvel. That I do know. Uh, being a tick is a numbers game. They might have a few thousand. They, they might have a few thousand babies, but not all of those babies grow up to find hosts. And then some ticks will need multiple hosts through their lifetime. So it's it really is a numbers game. So they're you know yeah. stick it stick and move. That's literally Amen. stick and move. Amen. Uh, hit it and quit it, if you will. <laughs> a few months ago, I came across an article of a tick scientist, which how the hell does this guy get laid? I have no idea. But he he published a study that is actually horrifying. And because the planet's getting warmer due to climate change, uh, the quote that really jumped off the page for me was, we found ticks everywhere we looked. So if they looked at another tick, they might have seen them just because the explosion <laughs> of ticks that's happening. Their ticks are everywhere. It's the tickening. The tickening, it sounds like a movie. All horror movies have like the whatever. You got the conjuring, the happening, the saddening. I just made that one up. But there's it's always like the, the something inning in it. So, well, yeah, the, the movie go. trailer would be like, in a world without a hero comes one man to stand up against the horror of the the tickening. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. We should write this screenplay. Let's, let's work on it. Well, my favorite example of that actually comes from a uh, one. Actually, one of our listeners, I worked with her. I was the manager of the of a restaurant. She was a server. And one of her favorite sayings is the fucking is upon us. Very clear that the service is about to go downhill. 
The Fuckening is Upon Us. <laughs> the Fuckening would be a movie, yeah, for sure. The novelization would be right there on the uh, rack next to The Hustler, Playboy, and The Dark Horse Comics magazine. <laughs> you sure as hell won't get the Comics Code Authority on that one, just saying. <laughs> So um, in reference to the ticks and and all of the information, and Matt noted that they're a lot more than they used to be, I want to make a a real quick reference to people who aren't aware of the Plum Island Animal Disease Center that is now managed by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. It's dedicated to research on plant and large animal diseases likely to have a significant economic impact on livestock and agricultural industries because of its isolation from the mainland, because it's on an island off the coast of uh, uh, New York and in the Connecticut area as well. In 1952, it was managed by the U.S. Army Chemical Corps as a component of its biological warfare program. However, when that program was abolished by a presidential directive in 69, it was transferred to the U.S. Department of Agriculture for its present use. So there are a lot of people who believe that Lyme disease was actually created, studied, and spread at this Plum Island facility. There's a lot of people that believe it. You'll find a lot of fringe stuff online, but I just find it really interesting. Is Could that be real? It's funny that it's Plum Island. Uh, if it was in Florida, it would be key Lyme disease. Is the, one that they- <laughs> <laughs> the idea of the U.S. government Fucking around and finding out with ticks totally checks out. Uh, when they transfer that to the Department of Agriculture, it had to be the shittiest damn job for that whoever that person is, right? The director of tick research. But if you think about Lyme disease, it's really not going to be, I mean, I understand biological warfare, but Lyme disease isn't going to be like some horribly spread, kill everybody instantly kind of disease. So not not, not until we make it worse. <laughs> yeah. There's evidence of Lyme disease going Back quite to, some time to, to ancient times, would you say uh, to antiquity? I, I would not. I would not <laughs> say that. You can you can go ahead and put your things that Ryan says bingo card away. I will not <laughs> use either of those words that Matt just said. I will say, however, evidence of Lyme disease goes back uh, at least several hundred years. Okay. Um, in fact, uh, oh my gosh, uh, I, I am I am actively looking at the Wikipedia article. And I may have to I may have to use one of those two words now. Oh no! Oh, damn it! The 2010 autopsy of Otzi the Iceman, a 5,300 <laughs> year old mummy, revealed the presence of the DNA sequence of Borrelia burgdorferi, making him the earliest known human with Lyme disease. You are just so into archaeology that it finds you, even when you try to avoid it. It finds you. Now that said, that that is that is prehistory. It would not count as antiquity. Okay, for the for, for the four people who listen to this who understand that reference. <laughs> so, in other words, what we're saying is we've just proved something is older than originally thought. Like the Sphinx. Oh, oh. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say originally thought. I think the internet does not get to claim originality on identifying the origin of Lyme disease as the 1950s. It's older than you originally thought because you said a few hundred years ago. So, <laughs> I, I said at least a few hundred years. However, the knowledge oh, come on. of the Iceman is only 11 years old. So Okay, all right, all right. That, that would explain why he walked off that building project. He's just like, yeah, I feel like yeah. shit. I'm out of here. Yeah, and then they right, stopped yeah. working on the Sphinx. <laughs> I, think the other, I think the other way that we could shoot that down is that we know how Lyme disease is transmitted. And although ticks are carriers of Lyme disease, we are not Lyme disease's intended host. No, like deer and shit like that, right? Like, well, that's, that's just it. Animals. No. Oh. No, the, the intended host for Lyme disease is like mice. 
So like, like forest so, animals. So what will you know? happen is, so the, the way this works is a lot of ticks have, uh, like I said, multi-stage, you know, they have a larval form, then they have a nymph form, and then they, they grow up and make babies. The way Lyme disease works is if a tick attaches to, say, a mouse that has Lyme disease. So a, a, Lyme, a mouse is considered a competent carrier of Lyme disease, meaning that Borrelia burgdorferi can be hosted in the mouse without making the mouse sick. That's called a competent host. So then when the tick detaches from that, it, it can attach to, say, an incompetent host. An incompetent host would be a deer. So the immune system of a deer shuts down Lyme disease pretty much immediately. Okay, okay. So Lyme disease gets into a deer, then the deer's body says, no, get out. But if that tick attaches to a human, our immune system is not as efficient at getting rid of Lyme disease, which is why it's such a complicated like immunodisorder. So you have Lyme disease, it stays in your body, you can treat it, and it might go away after time. But there's a chance that you could spend the rest of your life with Lyme disease. Uh, what if you find it on your balls? What's the what's the what's the risk of uh, Lyme disease if you get a tick on your balls? I'm just asking for personal and comedy reasons. For, for a friend, right? Asking for a friend. What do you do? If, if, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and say, being a farm kid, if you want to get rid of a tick that's on your balls, don't use the burn them off method. That's all I'm going to suggest. Can I drip hot wax on them? <laughs> you yeah, only if you pay extra. By the way, that I know somebody. Totally, because the two two methods that we discussed were in a previous episode. So for those of you who, uh, I think that was episode seven that we talked about that. It was but, our early stuff. Yeah, yeah, it is our early works. You know, it's the stuff that people want us to play when we when we do our live shows, but we refuse to. And Shane, you, you mentioned not using the fire, but I found a tick on my balls, and I used a match, and it absolutely worked. Uh, we, there's heat, then there's also suffocation. So I would argue that hot wax is the best way to get the ticks it, off your balls. It's definitely the funnest way. To- <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna say this guy is not gonna willingly hold an open flame down below because. Well, no, 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 no it's no, not no. an open flame, not, not an, an open, open flame. flame. You, you, what you do is you put on a blindfold and then you let, your, <laughs> you let your primary care provider drip the hot wax from a burning candle, you know, two, three feet above your testicles. Three feet? You got to have really good aim. I, I'm, for that so, I'm sorry, Matt. I've never uh, dripped a hot wax on my balls. C- tell me how you do it. So what you do is you make sure you pay extra. And you, <laughs> no, uh, uh, it's, it's not an open flame shame. What I did, you took a match, uh, let on fire, blow it out, and let that steaming stuff just touch the. Uh, I'm like doing the motion on my balls right now, like you guys were watching it. But like, that's why you, I am you know, intently. Uh, <laughs> nice. um, uh, well, then you have to pay extra. That's what that means. Um, no, it, it, it totally works though. Um, I'm sure. It yeah, would. that's. Anyway, we're kind of going off on an on ball sack ticks, you know. But, but but here's the thing. I would hold a lighter because that's the kind of guy I am. I would just grab my lighter and be like, oh, I'll burn you off. I'd grab a fucking blowtorch. <laughs> then I would set everything else on fire. Uh, you know, burn nice. all the hair. Yeah. Uh, and uh, then you don't have to worry about shaving or trimming if that's your thing. But I'm just saying, I yeah, no testicles and sharp objects or fire. Yeah, Probably not. Well, to each their own. To each their own. As far as this claim that Plum Island is the source of Lyme disease, or even the, the the source of an abundance of Lyme disease in North America, is probably very unlikely because uh, the infection vector for giving humans Lyme disease is very circuitous and is just dumb luck. But would you put it past the U.S. government to test on it? through the Army Corps of Engineers and have this laboratory testing and not creating it, not 
But would you put it past them? They were actually doing that. This is the 1950s. They were doing some pretty awful shit. There's probably some ex-Nazi scientists living there. Uh, (laughs) I wouldn't put it past them to try to find a way to weaponize it, but I don't know that they would necessarily have made it. I think it would get past the initial brainstorming phase once they brought in somebody who knows about ticks. Because that person would say, this is a terrible way to give people Lyme disease. (laughs) (laughs) I think uh, as most conspiracies that involve the government go, it assumes just way too much competence to the federal government that I'm willing to give them. I don't think this many GS eights or nines could keep this kind of uh, information (laughs) secret, right? No way that the government is that. I'm not an anti-government guy by any means, but I just don't think they're as competent as you being look able like to pull one. This off. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> look like Randy Quaid in Independence Day, right? You look no, like Randy yeah. Quaid now in his regular I was everyday go life. With Ted Kaczynski, but you know, I could be wrong. <laughs> you know, he, he was a he was a he was also an Eagle Scout and a singular authority on mailing explosives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, well, I'm I'm glad I look like that guy. <laughs> um, but, yeah, PhD, thank you. We're saying you ma- look smart in mathematics. Yeah. yeah, smart enough to not get away with murder. Is it exactly? We conclude this TikTok by encouraging you to visit our TikTok and our other social media, which Matt will list off because I don't remember them all. He usually says this part. You only have to remember one thing: it's we are wreck your pod on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Uh oh. Oh no, I think that's it. Is that it? And Twitter, shit. (laughs) (laughs) No, we are Wreck Your Pod on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We have a listener group and a page, so make sure you are joined and liking us both. All right. Then speaking of other people you should like, Shane, would you like to tell them where to find what's shaking with Shaner on the internet? Oh, absolutely. We even have our own website. What? We do? Yes. Shakenshaner.com. No G in shaken because it's silent for geek. So yeah, you can go there, check out all of our episodes as well as find us on Twitter and Facebook as well. And the show is pretty much listed on all platforms. And my most favorite part so far being a podcaster has been doing this with other podcasters. So guys, this was great. Ryan, Matt, thank you so much for letting me be with you this morning. A lot of fun. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate everything you brought to the show today. It's nice to not have to do the the heavy lifting on the research. Uh, (laughs) yeah which everybody knows is your forte Uh, yeah i listen (laughs) there is one more person to whom we owe a debt of gratitude and that's rick reynolds for the use of his song united from the album portals in progress which you can find on apple itunes amazon and spotify rick thank you again for your continuous use of your soothing tunes Yeah, so if between now and next week you find something hanging off of your dog that you just can't explain, before you take a picture and share it on the internet, if you don't have time to wait for our next episode, we encourage you to do the research yourself. Make sure to check yourself. Don't wreck yourself. We are united, but we're so far apart.